Good morning. On behalf of my wife, Kathy, and I, we would like to extend our sincere Christian sympathies to Laverne and the family. God is still on the throne, and he's still in control. On behalf of the Clark family and the Calvary Bible Church family, we welcome you and thank you all for being here, for demonstrating your love and support for this family through your presence here today. Would you pause with me as we open in prayer, please? Our God and our Father, we thank you for your abiding presence with us. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege you have given us of approaching you in prayer with the full assurance that you will hear and answer the prayers of your children. You are a good, compassionate, and gracious God, always meeting the needs of your children, giving us assurance through your word that you will never leave us or forsake us. Father, you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. We ask right now that you would deal graciously with the Clark family as they grieve the passing of their dear loved one, Joan. Lord, give them your perfect peace, the peace that passes all understanding. We ask that you would impart the grace needed to sustain them during their time of bereavement. Draw them close as a family, Father, but more importantly, draw them closer to yourself. Father, as your word is presented today, may it go forth in the power of the Holy Spirit. Touch the hearts of those who don't know Christ as their Savior and save them by your grace, we pray. We give you thanks and ask it all in the mighty and powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I too wish to extend my sympathies on behalf of Marissa and myself to you, Sister Laverne, and your family, and may the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit be your portion uh, during this day and in the days and months ahead. Thank God for his amazing grace today, and we invite everybody beside the immediate family, if you would please stand as we sing our first hymn.
Tamika Pinder, cousin of the deceased with the scripture reading, and as I knew him, followed by a solo. Please forgive me if I pronounce this name incorrectly. Renea? Renee. And after which, we'll hear from God's word from Pastor Rob Elliott. Good morning, everyone. Protocol being established, giving thanks to the shepherd of this house. The scripture reading is taken from Psalms 46, 1 through 5. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though the waters therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, Selah. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early morning. The word of the Lord. I was asked to speak on behalf of my cousin, Javon. And I took the time to write something eloquent, allow me to say. Good morning, church. That is it. That's the extent of what I got from writing on my smartphone. And I figured the smartphone would help me, but smartphone wasn't that smart. So if anyone is wanting to take up a lawsuit against all smartphones, please see me at the end of the service. I'll tell you a story of a boy that became a man, and that man was my cousin. We grew up humbly like any other family here in the Bahamas. Raised, rambunctious, loving to play. New Bold Street was our stumping ground. He was always the Spider-Man that wanted to climb the stairs. Me and my sister, Wonder Woman Superwoman. He was always vivid in his imagination. He would always come up with the weirdest jokes and say things like, I'll tell you a story. This story is true. The aunt climbed up the tree, and everybody shouted. That's not a story, Javon. What are you talking about? He would always say. He would always be weird or whatever it was, but he always wanted you to laugh at his jokes. He would always be candid with what he brought forth in his words. That boy grew up to be a young man that grew to love yoga. He found his passion in yoga. Even though he struggled with sickle cells and people telling him, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. Yoga is what he found passion in. He loved it. Many people don't find their passions in life, but Javon found his. He pushed his body to limits that some of us dare dream. And that is the passion that sustained him in his adulthood. He loved it. He craved it. He studied everything about it. He, he, he searched things that people only dare dream to search. He was a young man that loved his mother and adored her. His family, his brothers, his sisters. He would always say, see my mommy there? She always looking out for me. No, she's making me get up early in the morning to go help her sell these papers. I dare not talk back. That was Javon. Just a loving guy. Somewhere along the way, he lost his, his way. He got lost in the midst of struggles of daily life. And that is the struggle that ultimately led to where he is today. And many of us have our struggles. He had his struggles. He battled his demons. But like any other person, 
He was just human, wanting to fit into a world where he was accepted, he was loved, he was appreciated, and he was valued. That is the cousin that I know. That is the cousin that I would hope the good word, <coughs> the good word says. <clears throat> A good word in Mark says that the only thing, the only sin that is unforgivable to God, and that is blasphemy against God, the Holy Spirit. So I find comfort in hoping that the word is true and the word is exact because no one should have to suffer in, alone and no one should have to suffer in vain. And I want to remember him when he was right with God. That's the Javon I want to remember. Thank you. Sister Laverne, on behalf of myself and my wife, Beth, we extend to you sincere Christian condolences 
and our love in the Lord. And thank you for the opportunity to minister God's word today. The circumstances of Javon's death are known by most. And it is a most difficult and heart-breaking set of circumstances, to be sure. We have reason to believe that Javon trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be his Savior when he was young, here at Calvary Bible Church in Sunday School or Awana. And so it is well on the other side, where there is no anxiety, depression, or pain. In John chapter 3, we read of a most amazing conversation which Jesus had with a professor of religion from something like a religious college. After dark, this highly educated man snuck around to talk with Jesus, who seemingly was rather uneducated. Probably the religion professor was embarrassed to be asking Jesus questions about God and heaven because his whole community saw him as an expert in these facts of the Jewish religion. The professor's name was Nicodemus. Jesus was something like a pebble in someone's shoe. Maybe you know about that. I say that because Jesus always got right to the point And Jesus still always gets right to the point. And right at the beginning of this conversation, Jesus zeroed in on Nicodemus' biggest need, finding out how to get to heaven. This may be your biggest need this morning. You'd like to go to heaven, but you're not quite sure how you do so. This may be a time when that biggest need that you have is met and answered here at Javon's funeral. Before Nicodemus got to ask Jesus any of his questions, Jesus wasted no time to tell him how he could get to heaven. And in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus' words to the professor of religion at the local college were these. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Bam. Straight to the point. Jesus used a figure of speech called a metaphor to teach Nicodemus about the forgiveness of sins and getting to heaven when all is said and done. A metaphor, as you may remember from school, compares one thing to another thing in order to help us better understand the first thing. Let me give you an example of a metaphor. They had to use the jaws of life to get a person out of a wrecked car. That big and strong machine used to pry open a crushed car so the occupants can be saved is compared to the jaws that we know of a human or the jaws of an animal. And this strong machine opens like jaws and a mouth opens as it were and then closes down in the rescue of the occupants of the crashed car. Let me give you a couple other metaphors. Music is medicine for the soul. Or... Churches are hospitals for sinners and not museums for saints. Well, anyway, Jesus used the metaphor of birth, and more specifically rebirth, to actually help Nicodemus, the professor, to understand forgiveness of sin and how somebody gets to heaven. It's interesting that Jesus picked the metaphor of birth or rebirth 
to teach a guy who wasn't sure if he was forgiven and who wasn't at all clear about how to get to heaven. It's very interesting that Jesus picked the metaphor of birth and rebirth. Let me tell you why it's interesting. There are at least two things that the birth of a baby begins. First, begins life outside the womb. And second, identity in a family. I'm going to take these one by one. Number one, birth causes life to start outside the womb. We know, of course, that life in the womb for nine months is real life. But birth of a baby causes the living baby to start to live outside of his mommy's womb. Rebirth causes spiritual life to start. Before any of us becomes a Christian, we are spiritually dead. We would have no spiritual life. We could walk into a church building every Sunday and still be spiritually dead. It's possible that some here today are physically very much alive, but realistically spiritually dead. The second thing about this metaphor of birth and rebirth is that birth causes your parents to give you your name. They put it on your birth certificate, and you get your identity. For example, uh, a baby is a Smith, a child of John and Jane Smith. Rebirth causes your heavenly father to adopt you into his family and then to give you a new name, Kristen, which means a little Christ, which means that we are to show people who watch our lives what Jesus is like. That's our new identity. When we become a born-again Christian, when we become a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, we get our identity. That particular night, when the religion professor came to Jesus, Jesus did and said everything for purposes. Jesus always does like right now as I'm teaching you the word of God. Jesus has brought you here for particular purposes. You are here by appointment with heaven. And so Jesus purposely picked the metaphor of birth or rebirth. He was telling Nicodemus how he could be forgiven and how to get to heaven. And that birth-rebirth metaphor begins life, and birth-rebirth metaphor gives authority and identity. (laughs) We have two children. Joanna is 25, and Jonathan, or we call him JD, is 20. Both of our children are adopted. They were adopted from birth. And when we adopted Joanna and JD... They became Elliot's. Like many of you, our family, the Elliot family, strives to live certain values. Love for God and persons. Faith in Christ for salvation. Honesty. Hard work. Manners. Keeping promises. Education. Generosity. These are some of our Elliot family values. What would happen if one of our adopted children sinned before God over time and lived against God's values and our family's values? What would happen? Let's say that child who sinned against God and broke our family values, that disobedient child came to me one day and said, Daddy, I've done wrong. I haven't pleased God and I haven't lived like an Elliot. Can I become an Elliot again? 
What do you think I would say? I would say, I'm glad that you see the error of your ways, but you don't need to become an Elliot again. You've always been an Elliot, and you always will be an Elliot. Now go and live like an Elliot again. The Elliot identity was established not by birth. The birth mother's last name was originally on the birth certificates. But after adoption, the Elliot identity was established. Being a born-again Christian is not a matter of behavior. Please hear me. I'm not saying that our behavior is irrelevant. Our behavior should obey God and honor God. But what I am trying to say is the standing in God's family as an adopted child of God is not predicated, contingent upon behavior. Just like Joanna and J.D., if they were to mess up, if they were to go against God's principles and the Elliot family values, they remain Elliot's in need of repentance, but Elliot's. As I said early in this message, we have good reason to believe that Javon was a born-again Christian. We believe that He trusted Christ alone to be his savior from sin at a young age. We have come to learn that due to a great disappointment and due to long-term pain and lost hope, he ended his own life. We know that was wrong behavior. It was sin. But we also know that Jesus died and paid for that sin. With our God, he is fair. He does not demand a second payment for a sin that Jesus has already paid for on the cross. Romans 8, 1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so I want to make the Bible's point again. Jesus died and gave his blood to fully pay for a Christian's sins. All of them. Including, God forbid, suicide. And we are assured and we are comforted by scripture, that no one, including oneself, can take away God's salvation, which he has given us in Christ. You know, if we could, and we can't, but if we could do something which would cause us to lose our salvation, then we would be stronger than God. We certainly are not. For example, why do we need six hours of sleep every night to function? Our God never slumbers nor sleeps. And God's grace saves us, but equally God's grace keeps us securely and safely and everlastingly saved. And so our salvation is not depending on our grip on God, but our salvation is depending on God's grip on us. Remember, I am always an Elliot based on my birth and not my behavior. My bad behavior does not take away my identity as an Elliot. And if you're saved through Christ, your salvation is based on a gift from God. You cannot earn it by good behavior as a Christian. Although good behavior as a Christian should be the actual outflow of being given new birth and identity as a Christian. 
It's God's grip on you. It isn't your grip on God that matters. In John chapter 10, Christ's teachings are very clear. This is Jesus' words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will watch it, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So if you look here, if this is the nail-scarred hand of the Lord Jesus Christ from crucifixion, and you are saved, you're trusting him alone to be your remedy for sin and your way to heaven, then you are placed into the nail-scarred palm of Jesus' hand. But that's not all. Jesus taught that figuratively his father's hand came over his hand gripping you and the father's hand grips as well. And then Jesus said in this passage, I and the father are one. So watch. Two hands, two wrists, two elbows, two shoulders, one head. The job of keeping a born-again Christian secure in salvation is secured by Jesus' hand, which is enough, doubly secured by God the Father's hand, and nothing can break the grip of these two. Nothing. No one. Not even yourself. There is no sin, including suicide, which makes God unsave you or strip you from your identity as his child or ban you from heaven. That being said, there certainly are negative consequences for suicide for a Christian. Number one, there's no more time or opportunity on earth to work for God. No more time or opportunity to glorify God on earth. Number two, lost reward in Christ's coming 1,000-year kingdom on earth. Lost reward. Number three, that we are acutely aware of in these minutes. A devastated family and friends are left behind. Doctors have learned that a variety of things can cause an imbalance in the brain's amines, chemicals. And this imbalance leads to depression. We're not talking about, I feel blue today, depression. We're talking about debilitating clinical depression that causes the person so suffering to have tremendous problems focusing and giving attention. The person suffering clinical depression having no glimmer of hope for the future. person with clinical depression often stops eating, finds it difficult to sleep. And a person who is untreated with clinical depression can become so desperate that they take their own life. Doctors who study clinical depression say that it can have a variety of causes, genetics, unresolved anger, trauma, major loss, illness, 
catastrophic disappointment, chronic pain, an avalanche of bad circumstances. There's something possible, very possible, right here, right now, in this funeral congregation. It is very possible there are persons here who are secretly or openly suffering from anxiety and depression. These are worthwhile to God and loved of God persons who perhaps have even thought about planned suicide. Most studies that I have read show that in any group of persons, between 10 and 15% battle some form of mental illness. 10 to 15%. And depression is by far the most common mental illness which is battled. 10 to 15%. Maybe you. I'd urge you Do not be ashamed to speak up, to get help, to take prescribed medicine, to talk with a Christian counselor, to get better. You can get better. Let me talk about the church. Not just this particular church, but the church. Heard last night there are 4,000 churches in this country. Let's talk about the church. There should not be a stigma associated with depression or any other mental illness. I mean, Christians who have diabetes take insulin, and we do not think that they are less of a Christian or that they are sinning. Christians who suffer with depression, clinical depression, or any other kind of mental illness should be encouraged to see doctors, to take prescribed medicines, and the rest of us should not think that they are less Christian or sinning by doing so. If you yourself or if someone that you know is battling depression, please speak with me. Or phone the Christian Counseling Center just across the parking lot. The number is 323-7000. Please. God has purposes for you. Please, you are needed and you are loved and you would be missed. If you identify yourself to me or to the Christian Counseling Center, we promise you we will get you help. And that help will be confidential Bible-centered and Christ-centered, professional, in concert with medical doctors, and it will be affordable. Professor Nicodemus came to Jesus for a private lesson, and we're not even told what Nicodemus came to talk about, but we are told what Jesus decided to talk about getting to heaven. We all know that the Titanic, the ship that was boasted could never sink, hit an iceberg in the North Atlantic Ocean and sank. There was massive loss of life. The White Star Line offices in Liverpool, England, the company that ran the Titanic's voyage, 
after the tragedy at the White Star Line offices in Liverpool, England, posted two lists. One list, those known to be dead. The other list, those known to be saved. As you can imagine, before email and phones, different things, those lists attracted a lot of people. And people searched the list to see if their loved ones were dead or saved. Although we are years past the Titanic sinking, these two lists are very much in play. Those who are dead in sin and those who have been saved by Jesus Christ from the consequences of sin. Which list are you on? I'm not asking where your mommy's name is. I'm not asking where Grammy's name is. I'm asking where your name is. Those dead, known to be dead, or those known to be saved? If you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm on this list, but I would like to be. Here's how you could be. Here's how you could be on a list titled, Known to be Saved. You would acknowledge that you have blown it and sinned in front of a holy God. We all have. You would believe the Bible when it says that Jesus came to die and pay the price of sinners' debt to God. You would acknowledge that with the hand of faith, you would receive the forgiveness of your sins, new life in Christ, and purpose you've never known before to bring honor and glory to God. If we could bow, each of us in prayer, with our heads bowed, a sign of reverence for God, our eyes closed, that we would eliminate distractions. You could make this your prayer. It's not a magic prayer. It's simply talking to God. And if I am talking to God in ways you know you must, then I encourage you to repeat the phrases of this prayer not to please a preacher, but to get right with God. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know that I'm separated from you. I believe that Jesus loved me. And that he died on the cross in my place. I believed Jesus did not stay dead. And Father, you rose him from the dead to show that all of my sins are fully paid for. In the best way I know how, I trust Christ and only Christ for salvation, for forgiveness, and for a home in heaven one day. Now help me to live a new life with a new identity. Help me to honor you in all things. Help me never to take the security of your salvation for me and abuse it by willful sinning.
Help me to go to church tomorrow. If you don't have a church, you're invited to this church. Help me to go to church tomorrow to begin learning more about you, to make new friends that also love you. To be equipped to honor you. If you made that your prayer, God heard you. And he saved you. John 1.12, if we receive him, he gives life to us. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. Lord, while we are bowed, there are Christians here who have grown careless and cool in their devotion to Jesus. The world has seeped into their lives and like the Titanic, they're on their way to sinking. Help these to repent and to put you first in everything. Lord, for those who may be here hurting with depression, thinking or planning suicide, Lord, may these precious souls ask for help before it's too late. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with us even as you did with the professor of religion. Thank you, Lord. Help us all to live a thank you kind of life back to you. And with the psalmist, we pray, teach us to number our days that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. We pray these things in and by and through the finished work of Christ. Amen. Years ago, there was a man named A.B. Simpson who wrote a hymn called Everlasting Arms. And I think that the first verse of this hymn really fits today and Javon and all of us. Listen. Are you sunk in depths of sorrow? Where no arm can reach so low, there is one whose arms almighty reach beyond the deepest woe. God the eternal is thy refuge. Let it still thy wild alarms. Underneath thy deepest sorrow are the everlasting arms. John 10, 27 to 30, in closing. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Almighty arms, everlasting arms, that's where Javon is now. We're going to enter into a time of committal, but before we do, uh, Brother Anthon Wallace is going to help us uh, sing. The great creator is also the great Savior. And we sing in honor of his name today. The first verse and chorus before the committal, after which we will sing the remaining of How Great Thou Art. You may remain seated for the first verse and the chorus, and after the committal we will stand for the concluding verses of the song.
the Lord Jesus said all of the following. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Friends, we have gathered here in this sanctuary to lay to rest dear Javon Vernon Pender Clark's earthly house. And I want to remind us that our gathering here is not in vain. For we have gathered here on the basis of a forever sure and certain hope, which is anchored to the word of a true and living God. And I want to share one more passage from that word with you now. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Inasmuch as our Lord and our Heavenly Father took from our midst by gathering to himself this one whom we dearly love, we commit his earthly house to its final resting place, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, a place for safekeeping only until that great trumpet day, that glorious day, when the treasure we now deposit into an urn for safekeeping is transformed and raised imperishable and glorified. Please pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, all that hands could do have we done. Where we leave off, do you take up and take care? Watch over these remains in holy remembrance until the promised resurrection. Bless the family that remains on earth. Secure them by your love. Instruct them by your word. Comfort them by your promises. Sustain them by your grace. Encourage them by your people. 
warm them by the memories they hold dear. Heal them by your touch. Guide them by your Holy Spirit. Save them by your sacrifice. Precious Lord Jesus, send us away now to our homes and to the work that awaits us in your love and in your dear name. Amen. Please stand now for the concluding verses of How Great Thou Art, verses 2 and 3. And when I think that God, his Son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly shine upon you. The Lord give you his peace, both now and forever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.